book of 2 Chronicles. Uh, last week I was in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. want to go back there this morning. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, and I want to just share a few verses of Scripture that uh, early on I, I preached from the first part of this chapter last week. Uh, first, about five verses. This week I want to just take us to verse 11, and we're going to read down through uh, to verse 16. And uh, I, I believe with all my heart that this is, uh, I know there are some commentators who think that this shouldn't be dealt with outside of any of the promises that were just given to Israel and Israel only. Uh, and yet at the same time, there is such a parallel to what we understand in Scripture, and there is also New Testament Scripture uh, that we'll look at in just a moment that will help us to realize that this is not just a message uh, for His people Israel, but there is something that we can draw out of it for our lives today that I believe will help us, uh, and especially as we live in what I see as a wayward nation, uh, and in many ways a wayward people. Uh, last week I mentioned the fact that uh, just recently my wife and I were just talking about some of the hopelessness that it just seems like is pervasive in some of the young people, uh, especially in the younger generation and even the older generation alike. There is this restlessness, there is this frustration, this anger, this bitterness uh, and at the same time, the sense of, I, I don't have a purpose for being here. Purpose will never be found in what you do. Purpose will never be found in anything that you possess. Purpose can only be found in Jesus Christ, in and through Him. You can't find purpose through education, though I'm all for education. You need it to live in this world. You need it to, to be able to function as a citizen in our society but beyond that, the purpose, your purpose for being here is to glorify God and to lift Him up. That is the purpose of mankind. But I want to take us now to Second Chronicles, and we talked a little bit about the fire of God coming down and how important it was for us to believe God for His fire, <coughs> for His glory to come, come upon us in not the same way as what happened with Solomon, but a similar way as to what happened in that day, because that day they were dedicating the temple of the Lord to God. Now, we understand that this building is just a building. There isn't anything about this building. This is not the building in which God dwells. But the Bible says here in the New Testament that He now lives in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to believe God for His glory to come upon us as His temple, not just as individuals, but also collectively as a body, that the glory of God would come into the body of Christ and bring about a change in this nation. We need a revival, and we need God to do something beyond what we have seen. I can't even begin to imagine what life will be like if we don't see the hand of God move in some mighty way upon us. As a church, as a local congregation, we need the power of God in our midst more than we have ever experienced before. It's easy to get into this kind of a uh, sort of a laze and a malaise of, 
of just sort of getting by and, you know, doing whatever it is that we can do to tr- somehow strive to just get by. But you know what? God has greater things in store for us. And I believe that He gives us a way in which we can reach out and we can take hold of His blessing and His help. So today I want you to, we're going to start reading at verse 11. And we're going to read down through to verse 16. The Bible says, When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, Now I want you to listen because these are the words of God to Solomon. Whatever form he came to him in the middle of the night, whether it was in a dream or a vision, we don't really really understand or see that. We just know that God spoke to him. And he says this, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. I want you to see this. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Verse 14, though, is important. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. During times of moral decline and a lack of spiritual concern, God sometimes had to judge His people in the Old Testament with drought, with economic collapse, or even by withholding certain blessings from them. But God's promise was to them that if they would turn to Him, if they would decide that what they're seeing around them is hopeless and they can't do anything to change it in and of themselves, but if they will turn to Him, if they will reach out in prayer and they will call upon God, that God will hear what it is (coughs) that the people are saying and will heal their land. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, we are living in a time of desperate need. In our generation, more than in any other time in history, I believe that we are living in a moment where there is so much hopelessness. There is so much despair among people that there are people walking up and down the streets and sad to say that some of them are at times even those who claim to be or at least wear the label of Christian. That somehow we have gotten into this idea that God is a gimme, gimme, gimme kind of God. That God will just sort of feed my flesh and that that is the proof 
that I am blessed, that that is the proof that things are going well. Do you know that when the people of Israel began to stray away, now this is a essentially a prophecy of what would take place. It hadn't quite happened yet, but God was promising and telling Solomon and letting him in on the fact that when the people stray away, and this is exactly what began to happen, he would withhold rain. Remember Elijah? Elijah walked into Ahab's palace and said, it's not going to rain here for three years. And sure enough, not a drop of rain fell for the space of three years. There were times where Joel prophesies about the, the judgment of God coming in the form of locusts and they would devour all the vegetation so that the people wouldn't have anything to eat. You lived off the land in that time. You didn't go to Jewel. You didn't go to the supermarket. You, you had to live off the land. And if the land was, was destroyed because of these, these locusts, then what did you have? You had nothing. You were going to starve. He said, if they will, during that time, reach out to me, if they will cry out to me, if they will humble themselves, if they will pray, if they will do that, then I will come and I will deliver them. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, we are living in the New Testament age. And yet I can't help but think that sometimes the tragedies that we see around the world, if God is not trying to just give us some kind of an indication that we've got to depend on Him. You say, did God make some of those things happen so that that would happen? It just sounds so cruel. It sounds all of that. I'm not so sure that God made it happen. I'm just saying that God might have allowed it to happen so that we will learn to cry out to Jesus and we will learn to call upon Him. Isn't it amazing that after 9-11, people were swarming to churches? Swarming. And somehow, somewhere along the way, something has happened in our society where now people are, eh, can't be bothered. I make excuses not to go to church. I make excuses not to be there. You know what, brothers and sisters, if there is ever a time that we as a church need to wake up, stop making excuses, and we need to get into the presence of God, and we need to forget about ourselves, we need to forget about what it is that we're going through and we're dealing with, it is right now in our society. We need the power of God to come in our midst. We need God to do something in us. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. He says this, if... My people, here is the first thing. Listen, in fact, you know what, before we get into that, just turn over. You say, well, this sounds all very Old Testament to me. Turn over to, to Acts chapter 3 for a moment. Keep your thumb right there because we're coming back to Second Chronicles 7. But go to Acts 3.19. Because Acts 3.19, Peter is, is preaching. Peter is telling us what it is that needs to happen and telling the people and how it is that as we do this, that times of refreshing will come from the Lord. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, the Bible says this, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I want you to know that this prophecy, this, this conversation that God had, or this, this statement that God made to Solomon at night, whether it was in his sleep, in a dream, or however it was, is good for us today because we see in the New Testament that the same principles apply in the New Covenant age as in the Old Covenant age. 
That we are to turn to God. That we are to repent. That we are to reach out to Him so that He can pour in a blessing upon us and He can minister by the power of His Holy Spirit. But the Bible essentially gives us four things that we're to do. And the first one is this. The Bible says that we are to humble ourselves. In order to do that, we have to recognize a couple of things. We have to recognize, first of all, our failures. We don't like to look at those things. We only want to see our successes. We only want to see how good we are. In fact, the modern philosophy of the day is, you know, you're, you're a good person. There are, there are just all kinds of good people in the world. And yet, I find in Scripture, the Bible doesn't actually reveal that. It reveals that there is none good. No, not one. It's an amazing thing how philosophy is slowly becoming the, the religion of the day that Oh, everybody's good. No, it's not. We have to recognize our failures, that we have failed God, that in many ways we are individuals who fall short of what God wants for our lives. And I want to encourage you today, that is not to put anybody down. It's not for any of us to walk out of here and snake out of here as if somehow we've just been beaten over the head. But instead, this is a call to action. The Bible gives us an antidote to that. To that. It is to humble yourself. Not only that, we've got to recognize our inabilities. There are certain things that we cannot do. In and of ourselves. We've got to depend on God. We've got to trust in God. And when you humble yourself, you recognize who you are in the light of who He is. There is absolutely nothing that we can do in certain circumstances to change the situation, to change the moment, except take that humble heart. As I mentioned before, to get low before God, to get low before Him. We need to just come to Him and say, God, I'm going to humble myself before You. I recognize that I have not been what I should have been. I've got a spiritual poverty that I can't get rid of because I'm trying to do it my own way. I'm trying to work it out on my own. Brothers and sisters, the only way that we are ever going to make it as believers and as Christians is to continually humble ourselves before God. I believe Jesus gave us the answer in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. He says this, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. All through the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, we are told that we are to be humble before the Lord. Jesus tells us in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and verse 3, that, that those who are, are blessed or happy are those who are poor in spirit. That is, not that you are constantly putting yourself down. That's not what that means. It just simply means that you recognize in humility who He is and how great He is and that you're trusting in Him. You're hoping in Him. You're not hoping in yourself. Being humble before the Lord does not necessarily indicate that you and I are just kind of lay down and we're no good. we think we're no good and nothing like that. But instead it is that we trust in His goodness. We trust in His grace. We are putting our hope in Him and Him alone. Brothers and sisters, we are told to humble ourselves. And the Bible tells us that as well. Peter told that. James said that. That we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and in due season He will lift you up. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord. 
We need to see God do something mighty. And God gave Solomon the blueprint for that to happen. He says, if, if my people are wandering away, if they're doing their own thing, if they decide they're, they're going to live it the way that they want to live it, and, and God's not going to tell them what to do, then here's what's going to happen. Judgment will come, but in that judgment, I'm giving them a way of escape, a way out. I want you to know there are people who do at times live under the judgment of God. They, they wonder why they're, they're continually stopped moment after moment. They, they run into a brick wall and they can't seem to make it in life. They can't seem to make it forward. It's because they are going against God. You can't go against God and somehow be able to make it. I want you to know that if you will humble yourself under God's mighty hand, He will lift you up. Humble ourselves. There's something else that we have to do. And the Bible says, pray. God's people have to desperately call on Him for mercy and have to completely trust and depend on Him for help. That can only happen as we pray. If there is anything that the devil wants to do in your life, it is to silence your prayer life. It is to remove that element from your Christian life. And, and it seems almost like an oxymoron. A Christian without prayer doesn't quite make a Christian. And yet, there are many who say, well, I, let me, I, I trust in Jesus as my Savior, so that makes me a Christian. Well, that was only the beginning. That's, that's not the, the whole lot of it. Now we have to pray we have to call upon God. We have to reach out to God and say, I, I've noticed deficiency in my life. I've noticed some area of my life that's just not right. Then I want to tell you today, don't get on the phone and talk to your friend about it. Don't get Oprah's self-help book. Don't get out there and try to find out what somebody else has got to say. Do what God says and pray. Pray. Call upon God. He's the one you need to be talking to. He's the one you need to reach out to and say, God, I am coming to you right now for mercy and for help. I want you to know He'll never cast you away. He doesn't cast anybody away who will pray, who will call upon God. Say, well, what does the prayer look like? Oh, you know, that's the beauty of it is that you may pray in a different way than I do. But I know this, that God sees the heart as you pray. And it doesn't really matter how loud you get. It doesn't matter how, how it all sounds when it comes out. As long as you're reaching out to Him and saying, God, I'm going to pray. I need Your mercy. I need Your help. I need You to come and to change this area of my life that doesn't look like You. That, that doesn't act like You. I need You to minister in this way in my heart and in my life. I want you to know that that prayer will work. That prayer will change that situation. It will change your life. It will change your heart. Listen to what the Bible says. And it says it about Elijah. In James chapter 5, James chapter 5, turn over to James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Prayer is a powerful thing. The Bible says this about prayer. It says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. How did it all happen? It happened as a result 
of prayer. How is anything going to happen in the church? It's all going to be as a result of prayer. How is anything going to happen in your life? It's going to only happen as a result of prayer. We need to pray like never before. Pray for our generation. We need to pray for our young people. We need to pray for this generation of even older people who are, who are, are middle-aged or getting older and elderly and, and all of that. There is a hopelessness that people have. But we have a hope in Jesus Christ and we need to pray that God will help us to be ministers of His grace and as, of His mercy. So we've got to pray and call upon God with all of our heart. There is a third thing that we are to do. And that is this. He says, if you will seek my face. If you will seek my face. That sounds a little bit like prayer. And yet it's a little bit different than that. Seeking God's face. God's people have to turn toward Him and seek God's presence with passion. That is, that we're not just asking for God to forgive us. We're not asking God for His mercy over some deficiency in our lives. But now, this is that moment in which maybe the glory of God has departed out of our lives for a bit. Maybe there is a problem to where we don't sense the presence of God. And now, we're coming to God and we're saying, God, I'm seeking You for You. I'm not seeking what you can give me. I'm going to seek you for who you are. I want to seek you with all of my heart. The Bible indicates here that we will seek His face. As I was looking at that phrase in the Old Testament, it seemed as though there were different times where the face of God, as it referred to the face of God, it was that when the people of Israel turned away from God and they did their own thing and they, they, they went after other gods, the Bible indicates, he says, I will turn my face away from you. In other words, in judgment, I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to look upon you anymore. And now he says this, but he says this. This is the, the indication that we can reach out and take hold of the presence of God. He says, if you will seek my face. That is, it's not just that I would look to you, but it would be that I would come to you. That my approval would come upon your life. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, as we reach out to God, when we reach out to Him, we've got to say, God, I'm coming to you, and I'm going to seek your face for you. I need you in my life. I need you. I don't need what you can give me because I know that when I have you, I have everything that I need. You are Jehovah Jireh. If I, if I know my provider, then my provider is going to take care of me. You're Jehovah Rapha. I know that if I, I come to you, you're my healer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe you for healing in my body. I want you to know that God is able to do that. We've got to seek his face. We can't be selfish. We can't be doing our own thing and trying to find our own way and somehow just come into church on Sunday and well, let me get there and I'll do my duty and I feel better about myself that I came to church. Why not come to church to say, God, I'm coming to meet with you today. I'm coming to reach out to you. Some of us, we walk in and we say, I just wish it could be like this. I wish it could be like that. You know, we can wish our church services away if we're not careful. It's a moment in time for you to say, God, God, I'm going to reach out to you for you. I want you in my heart. I want you in my life. I'm going to seek you with everything that is within me. I'm going to seek you with all my heart. I want to seek 
your face. The Bible lets us know in different times that we can seek the Lord. Listen to what the Bible says here in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7. It says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And I want you to know that he will be found by you. When you seek for him with all your heart, seek his face. Say, God, I'm coming to you for you. I want to know you. So many of us were weighed down by the things that we need, by the things of just trying to get by in life that we often just are only bringing our burdens to the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no problem with that. God is not unconcerned about your difficulties and your problems. But I think that there are times where God just wants to be with you. He wants you to seek after Him so that you can get to know Him a little bit better and do it with your Bible. Seek after Him with the Word of God in your hand. As you read the Word, pray over the Word. Pray over what you've heard and what you've read so that you can come to that place Place of knowing that God is in your life in a mighty and in a powerful way. There was one other thing that God says His people are to do. And it is this. Turn from their wicked ways. God's people must genuinely, genuinely repent. Genuine repentance. It is that idea of turning back or making a complete change. You've got to repent for going their own way and resisting the will of God. I know that sounds like it's at the end of the list. Shouldn't we be repenting at the beginning of it? Well, sometimes that's, that's not really important in, in terms of the order. Sometimes we have to come to God and recognize who He is. And as the more we recognize who He is, the more He begins to shine the light upon our hearts and in our lives to show us the, 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 the sin that we have committed against Him. To show us the ways that we have gone on our own, that we haven't trusted in Him, that we haven't hoped in Him, that we have just sort of done our own thing and gone our own way. Maybe we're unaware of it, but the more that we do, we can say, Lord, I repent of that. I turn away from my my wicked ways. The, the psalmist cried out and said, search me, O God, and see if there isn't any w- wicked way in me. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, as we cry out to God for more of Him, there's going to be more of us that we're, it's going to come to the surface. We're not going to like what we see, but we can come to a God who is merciful, who is gracious, who is loving, and who is able to come into our lives and change that situation and change that moment we've got to turn from our wicked ways it's what the psalmist cried out David as he recognized that he had sinned before God he said this in Psalm 51 verses 12 and 13 he said restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn 
back to you. Restore me. The idea of turning from our wicked ways is to be restored to God who is always looking to get close to us. He is always looking to be there for us. He's not looking to cast you down. He's not looking to beat you down. He is looking to to restore you and bring you into His presence. Brothers and sisters, we've got to call upon God and say, God, You come into my heart and into my life in a fresh and a powerful way because there is no hope outside of that for this generation. We live in a nation that is so full of sin, that is so sick and full of itself. People with their agendas and their issues and their political issues that many political issues these days are now touching upon the church in such a, such a big way that we have to be very, very careful as believers what it is that we espouse, what it is that we, we cozy up to. Just because of one thing or another, we have to be extremely careful today because, brothers and sisters, it's coming back to bite the church. It's coming back to, to, to pounce on the church. And we have got to cry out to God, God, the only hope for this nation is for you to come by the power of your Spirit as we, your people, cry out for more of you as we seek your face, as we turn from our own wicked ways. Because listen, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're perfect, right? So we've got to say, God, make us more and more like you. Help us to be more like you. I want you to know that He will come. Listen to His promise in verse 15. He says, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Isn't that a wonderful promise to God's people back then? But I want you to know, in the face of what some commentators think, that I believe that is a promise for us today. That as we pray, recognizing that it's not the building but it is that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God, as we pray, as we cry out to Him, that the Bible says, He says this, my eyes will be open. In other words, I'm looking for you. And He says, my ears will be attentive to your cry, to your prayer as you reach out to God. God is listening. The wonderful news is that this prayer is not falling upon deaf ears. God always wants to hear what you have to say. He always is listening to what it is that you have to say as you reach out for more of Him. Brothers and sisters, as we cry out to God, we've got to know that we've got a God who hears and a God who answers prayer. And He says this in verse 16. He says, I've chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there, recognizing now in the New Testament that you are the temple of the living God, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that He has chosen you. He has consecrated you, that His name would be upon your life forever. I don't care what kind of nonsense the world tries to sell you. It doesn't matter what kind of garbage they try to feed you. I want you to know that you have been set apart for a purpose. You have been called for a reason. God's got a plan for your life. Every young person here in this moment right now, you need to know God has a plan and a purpose for your life. It goes beyond what your friends think. It goes beyond even what your teachers think. God is the ultimate authority and He's got something good in 
store for you. God has great things in store for you. He says, I've chosen you. I've consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. You have everything that God wants you to have because you've got Him. Amen? You've got everything that you need because you have Him. I recognize today for many of us we think, well, I don't have this, I don't have that. But you know what? In the end, when we've got God, we've got everything that we need because I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed out begging bread. God is with His people. He will strengthen you and He will help you and He will lift you up. We need more than ever before a move of God in our church, in our congregation. We need people to, you know, the bottom line is the enemy comes along and he says, ah, you know what, I, I, I'm looking for this or that and I, I'm just going to be, you know, I, I'll let somebody else handle that. When maybe it is that God is, is, is pointing his finger at you and saying, I want you to do it. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to learn the ministry of prayer. I want you to learn how to reach out to other people in the, in the body of believers to encourage them. I want you to learn how to go beyond. It's always got to be somebody else that's doing it. Well, no, it doesn't. You know, God is calling us to something greater and something better. And brothers and sisters, the more we sit by and let somebody else do it, the longer it happens where there is nothing that will take place. We've got to pray and call upon God. I wonder if we can just stand together the close of this meeting today. And I want you to just reach out to the Lord right now. And we're going to believe God for His grace in your life. You need God to come in your life in a mighty way and in a powerful way. Then I want us to just reach out to the Lord together. In fact, I wonder if you might do this. You sense in your heart that you need God to move upon you in such a powerful and a mighty way. I want you to just move out of your seat and come to this altar. Don't look for somebody to lay hands on you, but you come and you pray and you say, God, I am doing business with you right now. I'm going to take some time with you. I want you in my heart, in my mind, in my life. Lord, I'm going to humble myself before you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek your face. I am going to turn from my wicked ways. I am going to give you my all. You say, Pastor, we're Christians. How can we turn from our wicked ways? Listen, we have all done things that don't, don't line up with the Word. So we just simply come and say, God, I need you. I need your power in my life. I need you to come upon me in a mighty way. Just come right now. Come out of your seats and just come. And just come and call upon the name of the Lord right now.